2: Hey everyone from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos.
0: And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on this special edition of The Breakdown, a nation on edge. As we prepare for a transfer of power, we hope it's going to be peaceful. We think it will. We're going to dig into the security situation in the wake of the violent January 6th attack on the nation's capital and look ahead to the coming days.
2: Things were thankfully calm over the weekend, despite threats of demonstrations by far-right groups, but authorities are still on high alert in D.C. and across the country. We're going to talk about all that and what's ahead for the GOP and the country once Trump leaves office.
0: And I must say we have an all-star group here to chew this all over. It is dinner time after all, so we're going to do some chewing. First up, Katie Orr, our Sacramento reporter. And Katie, you were... Uh, out uh, and about uh, and in Sacramento, across the street from the Capitol yesterday. Of course, there was a lot of security up, but sort of tell us uh, what you were looking for and what actually happened. What was the mood there?
3: Yeah, it's funny. You know, we I didn't know what to expect. Um, I didn't know if I would get to the Bureau and see mobs of, um, you know, people protesting the inauguration, uh, people supporting Trump, people supporting... Uh, Biden-Harris, you know, things like that. Instead, I got there and there was, literally, I did not see a protester until like maybe later that afternoon, there was a handful. I mean, I could count on like two hands, the number of protesters I saw. Um, What I did see immediately uh, upon getting into downtown was just the heavy presence of the National Guard. Uh, They were Uh, Stationed in front of several um, state office buildings. Most notably, you know, they weren't just standing there. They were in their full, like, combat uniforms, armed, you know, machine guns out, uh, tanks parked in the street, or I don't know if they're tank military vehicles parked in the streets. Um, Huge presence of uh, CHP officers. There was a six foot fence around the Capitol and then a fence inside of that. So it was. Just a very surreal. It was a very surreal scene. But again, no protesters. Right.
2: But I mean, and that does compare to I mean, you've covered some pretty violent protest in Sacramento before Uh, we did see some folks out on January 6th, the same day the Capitol uh, was mobbed. I mean, do you feel like this was a a response? You know, the lack of protesters was a result of this heavy security situation?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, I do think that it was the Capitol's way of preparing for what very possibly could have happened. As you mentioned, there have been protests in Sacramento uh, for months, Um, be they um, protests in support of Black Lives Matter, which were overwhelmingly peaceful, um, you know, moved through the streets, but there was still heavy police presence. We have seen groups like the Proud Boys demonstrating at the Capitol and getting into fights with um people from antifa groups that have and it has turned violent before so it's not like um the the law enforcement was preparing for no reason uh but it's almost as if these groups that would have turned out sort of knew that they were expected and kind of didn't come (laughs) because they knew that they were expected.
0: Yeah, big relief overall, for sure. What are you hearing, if anything, from legislators, uh, from the governor's office in terms of, do they feel like now the crisis has passed or are they really do they really just need to keep their guard up and they're just relieved that nothing has happened so far?
3: I mean, I think the guard is certainly gonna be kept up at least through Wednesday, the inauguration. Um, we still have been hearing warnings that yes, you know, these protests might not have happened on sunday but there is still potential for them to happen um i personally feel like perhaps they might not be as massive as we were thinking given that there there doesn't seem to be a ton of momentum for them right now but again you never know what people are planning and um i know that lawmakers have expressed some concern about these protesters there was last week uh, 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 several women stood up in a senate budget hearing committee and started you know, yelling about buying guns and, and yelling that they're, you know, their they're displeasure with the lawmakers uh, essentially. So I think there are people that are nervous. Um, but that is again why we're seeing such a huge law enforcement presence around the Capitol.
2: Yeah, and I think something we're going to get into with our other guests is like just, I mean, I think we're all preparing to get through the inauguration, but these groups aren't going to go away come Wednesday, right? I mean, this is a long standing problem. Um, switching gears before we let you go, Katie, Kamala Harris did resign her Senate seat today. Um, she is obviously going to be sworn in as vice president. We have Alex Padilla, the first Latino senator from California who will be sworn in in the next day or two. Um, Obviously, Javier Becerra, our general, also got appointed to be um, the head of Health and Human Services in D.C. So any thoughts on who might replace him? Um, Any scuttlebutt on the Padilla change? Like, what are you hearing up there about about these musical chairs as it it is? (laughs) I know. I mean, and
3: I think it's important to note that attorney general has been historically like a launching pad for politicians in California. Of course, Kamala Harris, Jerry Brown was attorney general. Um, So not that he needed a launching pad, but I'm just saying it's a a very high profile position for people. Um, It'll be interesting to see if the same kind of issues that sort of plagued Newsom during the Senate appointment kind of haunt him during the AG appointment, and that being he, that was kind was of self-inflicted. Getting, <laughs> well, right. He waited <laughs> a long time <laughs> and, you know, but he was feeling a lot of pressure, uh, from certain different, like I, uh, certain d- different groups to a point, like say, uh, a black woman or a Latino man, or, you know, perhaps, you know, Daryl Steinberg's name has been mentioned. He was, a uh, the former Senate leader and now the mayor of Sacramento as a possible AG. Um, he is a white man. Does that, you know, hurt him in this, in this race. Um, I know Lorena Gonzalez, who, an assemblywoman who had wanted to be secretary of state, and now she did not get that appointment. You know, is she someone that's going to be in the mix? Probably not, because she's got a very um, tenuous relationship with tech companies. But there are a lot of people who would like that position, and you can be sure that they are lobbying the governor uh, right now.
2: <laughs> to, to try and, to try and get it. As we speak. All right, Katie, or KQED Sacramento reporter. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Katie. Stay safe out there. All right, we are going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll continue our conversation or start our conversation actually with USA Today National Correspondent Will carlis and Republican Strategist Tim Miller. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. <laughs>
5: That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.
2: Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and we are talking about the ongoing threats of violence in America, as well as what's next for the nation, just two days from Joe Biden's inauguration as the 46th president of the United States. Joining us now is Will Carlos. He's a national correspondent for USA Today, where he covers extremism. Will, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. And Republican strategist and writer for The Bulwark, Tim Miller. Tim, thanks for being here.
5: Hey, good to be with you.
2: So, Will, I want to start with you. As we mentioned, you cover extremism in America. You have been, uh, you were in D.C. on January 6th. You flew back out there this weekend. Um, and we really saw what what you predicted to me last week. I think you said this would be a big nothing burger. Um, why do you think that is? And what, What potential threats still lie ahead this week, um, not just in D.C., but across the nation?
4: Um, well I think it's I think it's I mean it's been pretty widely reported, but I mean when you have, you know, twenty thousand, thirty thousand troops in the nation's capital, you have an eight foot-high steel fence surrounding basically the whole center of power, you have you know, all of these National Guard troops everywhere. I mean the the signs are pretty strong to uh to any wannabe troublemakers, look, this isn't the time or the place to come and do it. Um in addition, I mean I did a story a few days ago about how the leaders of extremist groups have actually been calling on their followers not to appear at any, at any protests, either for the 17th or for the inauguration on Wednesday for various reasons. I mean, they, they argue that it's a trap. They argue that the FBI is trying to sort of draw people in and then arrest them all. Um, but also I think that there's an acknowledgement from a certain wing of the, uh, of the extremist, uh, of the extremist far right that, like, the battle's over, at least this part of the battle's over. And, you know, it's time to sort of go back and regroup and 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 come back at some other point.
0: You tweeted, uh, Will, about a but uh, you know a bit of a little conversation or some conversation that was happening between some of the Black Lives Matter activists in Virginia today with some of the far right extremists. What, what can you tell us about that? And what was the tone of the conversation?
4: Yeah, you're you're right on the money, and and this is something that's been going through my brain for the last few hours is you know I'm I'm starting to see these kind of conciliatory moves by some of these opposing groups um at the moment it's mainly just sort of not very powerful people but i mean it was interesting i was at this pro-gun rally in richmond virginia this morning and this afternoon and yeah you did have these people who purported to be supporters of black lives matter you know shaking hands with joking around with bonding with um members of the proud boys now these are groups that last month were literally fighting in the streets um the leader of the proud boys has told me many times he considers black lives matter to be a terrorist organization he sort of infamously burned down a black lives matter banner which he's now facing uh, charges for um so it's interesting to see those two groups maybe start to perhaps in the wake of january uh, of january 6th and the extraordinary events maybe start to face some common try and find some common ground. It may also be that they're trying to strike a conciliatory tone so that the federal government and federal law enforcement don't go after them and slap them all with uh, with with federal charges in the wake of January 6. So I, I I'm a bit of a skeptic. I wouldn't say someone someone did a wonderful tweet that said Virginia is for lovers. Um, and, sort of <laughs> that. And, and I'm not I'm not going to go that quite that far just yet. But there are some rumblings.
2: So, Will, and I want to turn to Tim on some of this, too, but I mean, we've seen in the last few days a real crackdown that just didn't happen before on Trump and his followers on social media, um, just really limiting their ability not to I, I don't want to frame this as to talk to to the public, because Trump is still the president, he could still just go on TV or hold a briefing, right. But there's this direct connection. And I'm just curious if you see that crackdown as as part of why things have been relatively calm in the last few days after what happened earlier this month. Um, Just given I mean, obviously, you've already detailed the security presence, but is that part
4: of it too? Is it just harder to organize? It's it's huge. It's absolutely huge. I mean, it's it's taken the oxygen out of the fire. I mean, when when Trump isn't there to rile up his supporters now, I want to be very careful. I mean, he it it has taken the oxygen out of the fire. Now we are still, you know, 48 hours from from inauguration. And look, President Trump could put out a statement, could go on Fox News, could say something inflammatory that that could, in theory, result in millions of these people kind of causing some sort of a ruckus, even descending on Washington, D.C., even given the security that's here. So I want to be very clear on that. But certainly not just the deplatforming of, of, of President Trump from Twitter, which was absolutely huge, but also... The kind of falling apart the deplatforming of uh parlor, the social media app that a lot of these people were using. You know, that it's not so much that these people are no longer communicating, they're still getting in touch with each other, but they no longer have this very public facing platform where they can sort of all say, We're in this together, we're all going to come to these events together, where they can put up flyers and say, Let's all be there at a certain date at a certain time, and that really does you know hamper their their organizational efforts and i think that that's that's an part it's the other half of the coin um to the to the security measures that have been taking place in dc
0: Tim Miller, I'm wondering what you think, Uh, you know, obviously, uh, this massive military presence in the nation's capital as well as in state capitals has, you know, certainly uh, hit the pause button for a lot of these groups. But what are you hearing from uh, Republicans, people who are thinking about this? Is there, you know, might there be like uh, a sort of detente, if that's, that's not the right word, but I mean, a way in which this might get walked back a little bit now that we've come right to the brink?
5: Boy, I have a gloomier outlook than Will um, on the state of affairs. I, I Virginia is not for pro- lovers. Yeah, no, part of that is probably because I, I think Will is probably right and totally deferred his expertise when it comes to these kind of organized extreme, extremist militant groups. Um, you know, uh, when you looked at the rally on the 6th, what you saw was, I, I think, a mix, right, of those organized uh, uh, extremist groups and kind of a weird uh, conflagration of just MAGA, QAnon, super fans, right? Some of them who I think were very, you know, kind of serious about um, the the effort to the insurrection. Some of them uh, along for the ride, along for the Instagram content. You know, I think that's why you saw this kind of weird dichotomy in the initial pictures that came out of the the, the rally. So I, I worry about um, the group. Uh, there is this this other group of MAGA superfans that really think he still might be president next Thursday. Mm-hmm. I know this is hard to believe, but uh, if you look at – I, I wrote up for the Bulwark um, – I guess, the other day about what um, Mike Lindell, who's the MyPillow CEO, who's been pushing these Stop the Steel rallies. And he gave this interview on Right Side Broadcasting News, which, you know, is getting a million views on, on, on right. YouTube, um, uh, where, where he's saying that Trump still might be president on Thursday. Uh, uh, you know, this is this is still kind of out there in certain Parts of the MAGA media and social media universe—it has been cracked down on, um, as, as you mentioned, Marisa. Um, but, you know, s- since the since the platforms had some action. So, I worry about one-off folks who are, who get re- disappointed and radicalized on Wednesday. And then when you look at the House and the Senate, I, I just look to what Rand Paul had to say. You know, Rand Paul said uh, that that if they convict President Trump, thirty-three percent of the party. Go, goes away immediately. They lose a third of their voters immediately. And, and I, I think that was a very correct and revealing point of view. I think it's why only 10 people did the right thing in the House in, in voting to impeach him. And, and I think that um, you know, that while you know, there'll be a small part of the Republican uh, uh, D.C. establishment that wants to work with Joe Biden, I, I think the vast majority of them will go into oppositional mode, um, grievance mode, Uh, pretty quickly following the inauguration.
2: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. Today we're talking to USA Today's Will Carlos and Republican strategist and bulwark writer Tim Miller. Tim, I want to stick with you for a second on this. I mean, you've called really forcefully for people to be held account for what happened on January 6th and leading up to it. What does that look like, not just legally, but politically? I mean, given what you're spelling out, I mean, we've seen other polls that show, you know, a broad majority of Republicans still think Trump should be president. And I mean, just such such a gap between what people who are not Trump supporters feel and, you know, and, and how they view what happened on January 6th and the rest of us.
5: Yeah, it's it's going to be tough to hold accountable. I, I guess the 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 positive th- um, uh, elements, I, I think, on the accountability side of things is if you look at the Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley numbers right now, uh, they are extremely unpopular. You know, Trumpism does not really transfer um, to you know some of these more traditional Republican types. You know, Josh Hawley's kind of model U.N., White power fist, you know, thing just doesn't land with the MAGA nationalists the same way that that, that Trump stuff does. Um, so I, I think that that you know, um, when you look at some of the things the Lincoln Project is doing, holding them accountable on on the financial side of things, um, I, I think that Hawley's in for a tough little period. Um, uh, on the other side, there's a group called the Republican Accountability Project that is going to be supporting the ten people that voted to impeach in primaries. I, just frankly this is a fight within the party that's that's worth having i i i am totally clear-eyed about the fact that the republican base very much wants trumpism and, and is very sympathetic to the president in spite of his absolutely unconscionable actions in the lead up to the sixth. Um, but I, I think that in certain districts in certain states, there are ways to create pain for the people that go along with it. And the prime example of that is in Georgia. You know, look, uh, it's tough to hold that coalition together if there's an internal fight and Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue made a bet to go all in with Trump on the, on the coup. And, you know, they turned off enough voters in, the suburbs, and there were enough, you know, of the QAnon voters that bought the, uh, you know, fake voting machine thing uh, to allow the Democrats to win two races. I mean, that was accountability right there. And and I think that there will be other examples of that.
0: Will, you've been reporting on these extremist groups for such a long time. And I'm just wondering, do you feel like, have they grown under Trump or have they just sort of come out of the woodwork through social media and now most recently at the Capitol and even in Michigan, uh, you know, with that attempt to possibly kidnap the governor of Michigan? Uh, you know, what, what's your take on the dynamics of uh, of these groups?
4: That's a good question. And I think it's 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 it needs to be answered in terms of um, not defining these groups as a sort of a monolithic entity they are you know as as um, your other guest pointed out you know this is a this is a wild bizarre party of different beliefs and people who believe different things so if we break it down for a minute i mean groups like the QAnon group for example which is one significant strata of of the people that we saw last week certainly they've grown i mean that has grown as a conspiracy theory it's grown as a as a you know as a political movement so that it's now just sort of unavoidable i mean we see it we see it everywhere and there are millions of people who are devoted to that but then you look at groups like for example the organized armed militia groups who who are, i'm personally most concerned about we've seen them getting certainly getting more extreme but but really those groups tend to grow the second amendment groups the pro gun people tend to grow actually when there's a democrat in the white house and the reason for that is that they they all get very um excited and charged up about the possibility of gun control and the fact that they they get whipped into a frenzy about the idea that the democratic president is going to take away their gun rights and and you see Traditionally, you've seen militias, you know, grow. They grew enormously when President Obama was uh, elected. They've kind of stayed steady during Trump, but but certainly they're going to be using um, Biden's, you know, Biden incoming as as a recruitment tool. Um, but then you I'm, you also have this kind of just just group, this massive group of kind of what I would sort of describe as almost like mom and pop maggots, which are just, um, you know, these 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 Trump supporters that sort of believe in some of the conspiracies and they believe that, that the, for example, the election was stolen, but they're not all in on any particular kind of extremist group. They're not part of a militia, they're not part of the Proud Boys, you know, they're just kind of very angry people. And and the the one of the big debates I think we need to have as a nation is like, do we call those people extremists? You know, mm-hmm. do we call them, do we call them part of that extremist movement? Because certainly they were there, cheering on and backing the people who stormed the Capitol last um, last last uh, last Wednesday. But really, if you start to lump those people in, we're talking about tens of millions of people who believe these kind of bizarre theories. Um, you know, is at what point does extremism become just you know a, a mainstream thing that a lot of people believe? It's a very strange time in our nation's history.
2: Yeah. And those are all voters. I mean, Tim, you've worked in Republican politics for a long time, helped run, um, you know, national campaigns. I mean, do you feel like this was, I don't know, a sleeping giant that that was there all along and and folks weren't aware of? I I, I mean, to Will's point, we saw a lot of this really explode under Obama when it came to the far right groups. But (laughs) your mom and pop (laughs) folks, I mean, what's your sense?
5: Yeah, look. I think it's two things at once. I think that this was a sleeping giant that people weren't aware of, and that was exacerbated by by Trump and and his unique, unconscionable behavior and his uh, unique pathologies and and who he brought into the party. I, I mean, look if you if you go back to the Tea Party. Um, you know, kind of fights of 2010. And if you look at those protests, and I was oftentimes on the more establishment side of primaries versus Tea Party candidates. Uh, the people that turned out for Tea Party candidates were very much, you know, kind of middle class people. Uh, they're older voters, felt like the con- they're, they're losing the country. Some of these people are were also there on January 6th. But I think that Trump brought in, you know, a kind of younger, um, you know, sort of white Male, blue collar, not college educated, um, very uh, angry about the way things are going with with society. and, you know, very extreme in, in, in their political ideology. and And so I, I think that that, you know, the, this was already, you know something that was on the cusp, uh, and and we saw signs of this, of course. Um, you Tim, know, let me just let me Trump just jump, elected, but, let me just
0: jump in, Tim, for please. a second. Like What happened to all the Republicans who were for lower taxes and free trade,
5: <laughs> and you know, tough on Russia, tough on China? Speak for Where them. are <laughs> they? I, I don't know that we're Republicans anymore. I know Marisa keeps calling me a Republican strategist. I'm like cringing because uh, I, should I, I know, not? I, mean, I don't
2: know. I don't want to like. <laughs> I mean, I guess your...
5: technically, I don't know. You know, I'm in I'm in a transitional period. Um, as, <laughs> Have you uh, left the, the party? Basket, <laughs> Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, yes, uh, okay. I, I, for all intents and purposes I have, I, I, think that, as I said, I do think it'll be important to have folks that are defending the people that do the right thing right now with regards to Donald Trump, cause I think that's important. And so, you know, I'll be supportive of Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney and the people who are doing the right thing, but for all intents and purposes, I don't see myself as a Republican. And I think the reality is, Scott, I think that there's a ve- there's a small remnant of Republicans that fit what you describe, that are kind of a minority of the party now, that are completely swamped by the nationalist populist, you know, uh, base. And then I think there's another group of people like me, like folks that uh, identified with the Lincoln Project, that are uh, that are, for practical purposes, you know, can cons- in, in temporary alliance with the Democrats, uh, you know, because you know maybe we still believe in low taxes, still maybe we still believe in being tough on Russia and smaller government, but on the fundamental issues of of pluralism, of welcoming immigrants, of the rule of law. Uh, uh, the Democrats are the only party that believes that that is acting on these kind of fundamental American principles and I, and, and and I think that a lot of us are aligning with the Democrats over that uh, and and putting policy to the side and and to be honest with you I think that is how our politics are going to look for the short to medium term. I I don't see the Republican Party um, tacking back on this kind of anti-democratic, anti-rule of law, nationalist strain that was unleashed under Trump. I I think that's going to continue.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I I promised at the top we would talk about the world post-inauguration. I'm curious, like. Given what you talked about in terms of the the increase of militias under Obama, given what we know about the fact that there's a lot of questions about people in law enforcement either sympathizing or being parts of these groups, what do you see as the kind of challenge for this new administration and and for all government um, in the coming months and years?
4: Well, I think the biggest mistake would be to think that because these people haven't Shown up or you know don't show up this week that they've gone away and that this ideology has suffered some sort of a setback. Look, these people, you know, they're, they're they're zealots and they're true believers and there's an awful lot of them and they you know and they believe that that Trump is president. A lot of them, you know, that you can add a religious aspect in there where they believe that you know Trump is sort of um, you know aligned with with Christianity and aligned with God and you know those aren't people who are you who are going to you know who are going to just kind of go away and and stop doing this so i i think it, if i could predict what's going to happen i think that there's going to be a sort of a an interim period where you see a lot of these groups groups kind of go away and lick their wounds to a certain extent and kind of reassess and then perhaps come back with a with a new front i mean i can see a situation in sort of you know maybe april maybe may june where somebody organizes another charlottesville type event and you see these groups really kind of come out of the woodwork again and say look we didn't go anywhere and make some sort of a show of force i don't know what that means politically and i do think you know something that's really overshadowed the whole of this conversation and this may sound strange when we had a you know an insurrection in the nation's capital last week but ultimately we're still talking about extremist groups we're talking about fringe groups and i want to and remember that you know That's it's not 2, it's not the majority people.
2: it is not the majority all real right, we'll call us of usa today former republican strategist and full work writer <laughs> tim miller thank
4: you both so much for your time thanks <laughs> thank you all
2: right that will do it for this special edition of political breakdown we're a production of kqed public radio we will be back here at the same time tomorrow night on the eve of the inauguration for another special edition we're going to talk about what's next for california's native daughter kamala harris
0: For tonight, our producer is Guy Marzorati. Our engineer is Brendan Willard. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer.
2: And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at M. Lagos. Thanks for listening and stay safe.